0: to join us today, um, <clears throat> and I, uh, I, I start with a special uh, thank you to whoever sort of set the title out in this morning's newsletter, uh, with the sermon title, The Struggle with Sin, Mark Stanway. Uh, thank you for that. Thank you. It's, uh, I can't say it's not true, but uh, But the thought did cross my mind uh, that what if we all actually just look at the uh, title ourselves for a second and actually swap my name with yours. (laughs) Okay. so (laughs) Forgiveness, isn't it? That's good. Good. So we begin. Uh, This morning I've been tasked with uh, following on from where Chris Newton left off. And uh, don't don't worry about that, the the leadership haven't uh, taken some fast-track approach and abandoned all of the process and uh, uh, put some some, with no ministerial training whatsoever in place uh, behind your backs. No, it's uh, just following on really from uh, where Chris left off in the book of Romans. Uh, Chris took us up to the end of chapter 5 in Romans. Um, And we have the... uh, First, first slide up there, I just need to uh, familiar myself with all the gadgets there. So, Chris's theme, in just by way of a very, very quick recap, um, Chris's theme uh, uh, that he took us through in Romans chapter 5 was on the subject of death through Adam, but life through Christ. Um, and I don't know about you, but sometimes I, I find it really encouraging when I see God Speak uh, to his people by repeating and reinforcing and reiterating certain themes at certain times in the, the life of a church or in the life of individuals uh, and I did actually feel that um, when I was preparing for this because those of, i don 't know those of you who were here two weeks ago when tim hanson uh, ben 's brother was here um, and Uh, Tim came to us with a word from Ephesians chapter 2, which starts with the words, uh, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. And continued in verse 4, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. It is by grace you have been saved. And those words that Tim brought to us just two weeks ago, and which should have actually been last week, uh, had there not been a a sort of a slight change in the programme for Sarah being here. Uh, I just just get the feeling that God is trying to speak to us uh, through this whole subject of uh, this sort of transition, if you like, from death through to life. Uh, Both those that perhaps haven't made that step yet, but also those of us who have. Uh, that uh, transformation through from death to life. And so today we look at Romans uh, uh, chapter 6 and continue with this great theme of this transformation from death to life. Um, And just a a very quick reminder in in terms of the book of Romans, uh, Paul here is writing to the early church. He's writing to Christians uh, in Rome in the early church. And one interesting thing is, I don't know whether Chris mentioned this earlier or not, but one interesting thing about the Book of Romans is that uh, Paul had never actually visited Rome, uh, and Paul had never actually had any involvement, uh, actually, in the the establishment of the church in Rome, uh, whereas all of the other letters uh, were places where he'd been to and knew the the people. Um, So the letter to Rome, really, from Paul was... um, a letter that Paul felt guided and instructed by the Holy Spirit to write uh, to this group of Christians. He fully intended to go uh, to Rome at some point, but actually never made it. Paul never went to Rome in his ministry. Um, So essentially, the book of Romans is very much a fundamental teaching that Paul was inspired to give uh, by the Holy Spirit. what I'm going to do today, I'm not actually going to read all of the verses from the outset, but what I would invite you to do is open your Bibles at Romans chapter 6 uh, so that we can actually follow it as we go through. Um, and what we really need to actually do is start at the end of chapter 5 uh, with those uh, great words uh, in that, that Chris concluded with, in chapter 5. It's one of, chapter 6 is one of those chapters that follows on very much from chapter 5. So, Uh, chapter 5, verse 20 says, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so, in Romans chapter 6, Paul takes this theme on a step further, uh, from, from writing about this marvellous transition from death to life by grace, to this concept of uh, those who, were, who believed in Christ uh, as being both dead <clears throat> and alive. So, rather a strange concept, I know, but how, how can this be? What's Paul talking about there? What Paul's talking about there is, is being dead to sin and alive in Christ. This great transition of uh, de- dead to sin and alive to Christ. And what Paul was dealing with here <clears throat> was actually um, an, emerging, um, an emerging idea that went something like this. If God's grace and forgiveness is so great and increases all the more as sin increases, logic says that the more we sin, the worse and the worse that sinfulness is, we will see increasing levels of God's grace. And that must be a good thing, isn't it? I'll just read that again. I'll just say that again. It says, if God's grace and forgiveness is so great and increases all the more as sin increases, logic says that the more we sin and the worse that sinfulness is, we will see ever-increasing levels of God's grace, and that must be a good thing, isn't it? What does Paul say? No, not at all. So, in verse 1 of chapter 6, Paul says, no, And he he exclaims, By no means, by no means. He says, We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? When I looked at these verses, I I was looking in a a sort of some words of someone who'd written on this particular chapter here. Uh, And in dealing with this verse, he said, it's a terrible thing to seek to trade on the mercy of God and to make it an excuse for sinning. How despicable it would be for a son to consider himself free to sin because he knew that his father would forgive him. That would be taking advantage of love to break love's heart. And the same writer went on to uh, say. The man who enters upon the Christian way is committed to a different kind of life. He has died to one kind of life and been born to another. In modern times, we may have tended to stress the fact that acceptance of Christ need not make much difference in a man's life. Paul would have said that it ought to make all the difference in the world. And this is what Paul was trying to get through to the people in Rome who were having these ideas that actually, um, when we become Christians, it actually ought to make all the difference in the world. And what Paul goes on then to do in verse 3 of chapter 6 is he then picks out an illustration. He he picks out... um, and, and creatively uses the act of baptism uh, to illustrate this point. Uh, and he did that because he knew that all of the people, the Christians in Rome, uh, would be very familiar with the act of baptism uh, and the process of baptism. Uh, and just to be clear at this point, um, Paul was refer- when Paul refers to baptism here, he's referring to the same form and practice of baptism that we're familiar with here, uh, uh, that that of uh, adult baptism by full immersion. This was the early church, remember. This was the early church. It was very much in its formative period, uh, hence the need for Paul to write this kind of a letter uh, to them. Um, And the Christians there were primarily adult converts, Okay, they hadn't been brought up in Christian families. That wasn't the culture. The Christians there were adult converts who'd heard the good news and responded. Uh, and it made a massive difference. It was a huge transformation, a huge change for them, or should have been, uh, in, in their lives. So Paul picked out this, uh, this um, theme of baptism uh, particularly um, and, and referred to the, the form that, that we know by full immersion. Uh, just give me one second. Screw, thank you. Thank you. All right. Good. Uh, and it was the form of baptism that was practiced on Jesus himself in, in the book of Mark, chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, um, says this, it says, At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptised by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. So there's no question there in terms of the form of baptism that Jesus had and the form of baptism that, um, that Paul was referring to here. So, in uh, uh, back, back to Romans chapter 6, in verses 4 and 5, uh, Paul says, uh, having brought the, their attention to this subject of baptism, uh, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him, like this, in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection uh, and This is what Paul was talking about here this this, this fact of, the, of, of this the, the picture of being immersed fully uh, to represent the old life being completely buried. But then, when the people were raised up out of the water, they were raised to new life in Christ. And Paul goes on um, from verse 6 uh, and says, for we know that our el- old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been, set f- has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Wonderful words uh, from Paul there, just exclaiming the victory of Christ in his uh, resurrection. And then in verse 11, really, we, uh, we have um, what, what is perhaps the, the heart of the chapter in verse 11, where Paul then goes on to, uh, to say to them, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. Okay, so if you go home today, forget everything else I've said. Try and remember that verse, that one verse. Okay, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And of that um, verse, or when, again, when I was just looking at some words from a, a, a writer called William Barclay, uh, he put this phrase down. He said, we cannot live our physical life unless we are in the air and the air is in us unless we are in Christ and Christ in, is in us we cannot live our lives for god <clears throat> okay we cannot live our physical life unless we are in the air and the air is in us unless we are in Christ and Christ is in us we cannot live our lives for God. Uh, That's a very, very simple statement, isn't it? But very, very true uh, as as to what Paul is talking about here. And what Paul is talking about here and what William Barclay is talking about here really is a change of environment. What came across to me here was he's talking about this change of environment. Now, uh, I need I need you to uh, stick with me here for a few minutes as we uh, shift um, from statements by Bible scholars into uh, Mark's world, okay? So just, just bear with me for a few moments here so we, we shift to Mark's world. Um, <clears throat> okay, quick show of hands here, bit of audience participation, quick show of hands. Is anybody here... Uh, experience their thoughts going off at a tangent sometimes, yeah quite a few already, good, good, so one minute you 're thinking about something or doing something, yeah, and the next minute whew, your mind's completely somewhere else. well, uh, I have a confession um, and i i, I I'm going to blame it on living in a house of four boys, okay. Uh, because after reading these words here about uh, being in the air and this thought of a change of environment, my uh, this is where anyone in my family gets very embarrassed. But uh, my mind turned to uh, to this. Unfortunately, <laughs> now for anybody who, who who does know what that is, shall we say? Anybody? Mhm. That's right, SpongeBob SquarePants. For anybody who doesn't know that, am I'm, I'm rather hoping there'll be quite a few who don't actually. <laughs> I might be a bit worried if everybody did. Um, but for those who don't, uh, SpongeBob SquarePants is a, a cartoon for young kids, and it's all about um, these uh, sea creatures in different forms, shall we say, who live on the bottom of the the sea. Okay. Very good, very humorous. I must, uh, I must say. Um, okay and this is what my mind turned to uh, unfortunately <laughs> so uh, if I'm not an elder next week then that's, we know why okay but um, who's the odd one out can anyone tell me who the odd one out might be of the four characters there <laughs> sorry Sandy <laughs> somebody say somebody, somebody knows Sandy, yes. Okay, yep, the odd one out is Sandy. Okay, why is Sandy the odd one out? Anybody know? She's a squirrel. Sandy is a squirrel. She's not a sea creature, so Sandy has to have an underwater suit on with a mask on uh, and with uh, lead, lead boots on as well to keep her on the bottom of the sea. Okay. So... <clears throat> Yes, Sandy is a squirrel, so Sandy's natural environment is actually the earth, the land, okay? She's out of her natural environment when she's in the sea. And just to prove that, if SpongeBob chooses to visit Sandy on the earth, he has to uh, come with a a, a bowl on his head, okay, of water. So... Okay, that's enough of Mark's world. Let's move on quickly. But it's actually on this theme of this change of environment. It's still talking about this theme of this change of environment and how easy or, or not it is to actually find ourselves living outside of the, uh, the environment that, uh, that we ought to be in. And very much back to this theme of uh, Paul's theme of being dead to sin and alive in Christ. Right back in Genesis, uh, we see that God created the perfect environment for man to live in. Uh, But following that disobedience of man, um, or rather of Adam and Eve, in Genesis uh, chapter 3, verse 23, uh, we read, So the Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden. So after Adam and Eve had disobeyed God, the Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden out of the environment that God intended for man and separated from God. And when I thought of this, and again, back to my thoughts of SpongeBob and them living on the bottom of the sea there, I had this picture of an environment that was was dark, that was desolate, that was lifeless and was hopeless. And this picture of this just desolation, almost this underwater right at the bottom of the sea where there is no life uh, and it's dark and there is no hope. And actually in the Bible, and included in some of the earlier chapters of Romans that that we looked at with Chris and with John, uh, there's quite a lot said about man's hopeless state of sin, man's hopeless state of sin, and this darkness that that man is in. Uh, In John chapter 3, verses 19 and 21, it says this, This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light. He will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. Those words are really clear that man, this this, this distance, if you like, this separation from God, that man lives in this kind of dark uh, environment. And we only need to look in the news on any day uh, of any week to see the, the darkness that's all around um, one story that was in the news just a week or two ago some of you might remember it a story that was in the news uh, a week or so ago uh, I was just reminded of this as I was thinking about this and it was this story I don't know whether anybody saw it about the, what, they, what they called the dark web um, created by and for people who want to share things so awful that everyone is anonymous, basically to avoid prosecution. Okay. So, and I thought, good grief, what's on the internet already can be bad enough. Sitting beneath that is this thing called the dark web, uh, where the things are so awful, everybody on it is anonymous. Um, And that's the world we live in. That's the world we live in. And part of the new story if you like, for that day, was reporting the increased number of people who were finding their way onto this. I could say logging on, but you can't. It's a, it, you have to have the connections. It's, it's a dark world. It's a dark web. Um, and that just really brought it home to me uh, as to um, where, where we've got to. This state that man has got himself into, but this wasn't what God intended at all, was it? This was not what God intended for man, for His creation, whom He, whom He loved, and that's why He set in place this great plan of salvation, His great rescue plan, uh, through His Son Jesus, to rescue us, to offer this, 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 this. Salvation, this this bringing out of this awful state uh, that we have. And that plan was to bring about this marvelous transformation in the lives of all those who put their faith in Jesus. This transformation from separation to restoration, from death to life, and from darkness into light. I'm going to read a few verses from John chapter 1, right at the very beginning of John chapter 1. You can turn to it if you like. Uh, John chapter 1, uh, verses 4 to 12, which talks about this very subject here. Uh, John chapter 1, verse 4. In him, this is talking about Christ, uh, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed on his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. That was what God intended in Christ. Not separation, not death, not desolation, but actually to give people a restored relationship uh, back to Christ and to be called children of God. And In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, we read this. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, A holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. This is what God intended. And this is what Paul was trying to get through, this message to the Romans, actually. No, you know, God has called you out of darkness into light. And don't forget, these were Christians Paul was talking to here as well. So I believe the message from Paul to the church in Rome and to us today is to understand what we've been saved from to leave those old ways behind, if you like, and to grasp the fullness uh, of new life that we have in Christ. Those words again from uh, First Peter, out of darkness into his wonderful, wonderful light. And then drawing to the end of um, uh, Romans chapter 6, the verses in between, Paul uses another uh, illustration, if you like, of slavery, where he talks about people, because that was a, that was a picture that the Roman church would be familiar with, this, this idea of slavery and people being set free from slavery. Paul uses that um, uh, analogy as well there. But moving on now to um, verse twenty. Uh, Just towards the end to uh, verse 22 in Romans chapter 6. Verse 22 uh, and 23, uh, as as Paul finishes off the, the, the chapter here. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God... The benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. And then a verse that many of us certainly uh, perhaps learnt back at Sunday school or whatever is perhaps familiar to us the final verse here For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. There's probably another complete sermon, I think, probably just in that verse alone, and we, uh, we certainly haven't got time for it uh, today. Uh, but in summary, what Paul is saying there is that of ourselves, in our sinful state, what we earn are wages, we earn wages, what we earn and what we deserve is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Now, gifts are great. Who likes gifts? Everybody? Yeah, good. Lots of nods. Yeah, gifts are great. But you know, unless they're received and accepted, they're worthless, no matter how valuable they are. Someone could give you the most valuable gift in the world, but actually, unless you accept it and receive it, worthless. Worthless not worth a penny. This gift of God that Paul is talking about here is the most valuable gift you will ever be offered. And the cost higher than you can ever imagine. And this is what we'll be focusing on really in a few moments as we uh, enter our time of communion. The cost higher than than we can ever imagine. And so I finish really with a question, I suppose, and it's this, are you still in darkness? Are you still in darkness? If you are, can I encourage you uh, today to look to Jesus, the light of life, the light of the world that we sang about before, to look to Jesus and accept his Offer God's offer of forgiveness and of new life in Christ. Okay, let's pray, shall we? Father God, we uh, bow before you today. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you intended the very, very best for us, Lord, and that you given us this marvellous, marvellous gift of Jesus that transforms our lives from lives of, uh, of, of, from a place of death, from a place of darkness into your glorious light. So we thank you Jesus for that. And Lord I just pray now that um, anybody here today who who's still, who's struggling with things, struggling with darkness has perhaps never even come to that place of seeing your light and seeing you as the light of the world. Lord, would you break through today uh, in their hearts, in their lives, Lord, and reveal yourself as the light of the world. Amen. Amen. Good.